thanks for showing up on Boxing Day and not going to the Boxing Day sales or something like that. I'll just move this. I hope you had a great Christmas and a chance to reflect on the birth of our Saviour. Magnificent. All right. How about we just pray before I begin? Father, we come around your word now, and uh, you are just so magnificent, and it is such a joy uh, that you have enlightened our world by the coming of Jesus. And today we just sit under that. And Father, we just thank you for just the enormous blessing of knowing you. And Father, I just want to commit the words of my mouth, and Father, we commit the meditations of our heart as we come around your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's the old pie graph again, guys. I uh, just wanted to sort of help you track with where we're at with the Christian calendar. So we've come through the first uh, four weeks of Advent, and we've looked at uh, some prophecies in Isaiah, uh, which look at the coming king and what his kingdom would be like. Um, two weeks ago, Andrew preached on the Magnificat, which is Mary's psalm of praise. Uh, she's pregnant with Jesus, and she goes to see Elizabeth, and she just has this overflowing praise and thanks for what God was doing through her. And then last week, we had John the Baptist. Prepare the way. The king's coming. It's the most glorious thing. And he's saying, repent. There's one who's coming who's so great that I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And bless you. (laughs) And that leads us to Christmas, which is this week and next week we're celebrating Christmas. The king has come. Celebration. We should have party hats on today. It's It's a day of celebration. It's a day of joy. Oh, we're not focused on. Hi. My mother-in-law, Gail, is uh, tuning in this morning. Hi, Gail. Uh, she's, a, she's a lovely, God-fearing woman, and uh, you're such a blessing, and it's lovely that you can be uh, here through your screen. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so the next two weeks, we're, uh, we're looking at Christmas and just celebrating the coming King. It's a, it's a day of celebration. Um, and so this week and next week, that's what we're going to be doing. Right, the King has come. It's a bit hard to see that, really, isn't it? It's a nativity scene. We've got Jesus in the manger being held by Mary and just something for us to reflect on. Behold your king. And what I want us to do today is to look at John 1 and we're going to answer two questions. The first question that I want us to consider is who is this King Jesus? Looking around, I think everybody knows. Should we skip it? No, no, we're going to look at it anyhow because it's, it's joyous to look at. And if you know Jesus, you don't get bored with considering how great he is. So we're going to consider who Jesus is. And secondly, what difference does Jesus make? We celebrate his coming. It's worthwhile reminding ourselves the incredible difference he makes, not just in our world, but also in our hearts. So that's where we're going today. So if you follow with me, we'll go to John 1. Yes, you can see it. That's good. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. I've highlighted that in yellow, something for us to really meditate on. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When the Apostle John writes, in the beginning, his Jewish readership understand that he's talking about Genesis because the Jews used to know the books of the Bible by how they started. And so when they read in the beginning, they think in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1. John is pointing back and saying at the beginning of creation, Jesus was there. And it's a mystery. There's no preacher who's ever been able to explain the mystery of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you look at um, verse 18, John 1.18, flick down in your Bibles if you want to, the, the mystery intensifies. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Can you grasp that? I can't, because it's a mystery. The Trinity is a mystery. God, in the form of Jesus, making God known, magnificent. Jesus is not a messenger from God. Jesus isn't the fragrance of God. He's not on a mission from God. Jesus is actually God himself, the one true God. A few other scriptures that you may want to look at um, in your own time, but I'll say where they're from. Uh, John 10.30, Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. You know, the Jews wouldn't even say the name of God because it was so holy. And here's Jesus saying, I and this holy God are one. Wow. John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, talking to Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And lastly, actually not lastly, there's a lot more, uh, John 17, 5, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Before he goes to the cross, he has this great prayer in uh, John 17, and he says this, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Who is this Jesus? He's not just a great prophet or a healer or a miracle worker. He's not the greatest teach, not just the greatest teacher the world has ever seen. He is God himself become a man. That's magnificent. Such a, a, a huge truth. Um, there was this guy back in the fourth century called Athanasius, and he was a defender of uh, Christian doctrine. And he said this, there never was a time when he was not talking about Jesus, there never was a time when he was not. Selah, think about that for a minute while I have a drink. Lo, within the manger lies he who built the starry skies. It's pretty cool, isn't it? 
Lo, within the manger lies he who built the starry skies. Into our broken world, a baby was born. Into a humanity twisted by malice and evil, into the black night of our sin, the entanglement of deceit, the wasteland of arrogance and pride. Amongst all the ransacking demonic forces of wickedness, rampant corruption and abuses of power, despair and envy, lust and hatred, blindness, sickness, sorrow and death. What is God's answer to this world? Himself. Himself comes the little baby, isn't it magnificent? The simplicity of God's plan, sending himself, not a decree, not gold tablets with more commandments, not more laws, though the Old Testament laws are holy and righteous and good. He came himself to demonstrate what it was to live. Such a wonderful truth. What is God's answer? It is himself. Come as the baby Jesus. That answers the first question, doesn't it, really? Who's Jesus? He is the one true God. Next, what I want to look at is um, from John 1. There's three things I picked out, but there's a lot more in John 1 about um, what difference does Jesus make? What difference does his coming make? And I picked out three things. The light that he brings, the mission that he accomplishes, and the humanity he embraces. It's kind of like I've, I've landed in three places in John that we can dwell upon, and there's a lot more in John. We could preach probably for all of next year on John 1 and not get to the end of it, and because we are peering into the mystery of God, and it's just magnificent. So if you look with me at John 1.9, what difference does Jesus make? The light that he brings. John the Apostle says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Imagine with me, to try to understand what this light really is, imagine you're in a dark forest at night time and there's no moon and you don't have a dolphin torch. You don't have a torch on you, and you're stumbling along the way. You're tripping over rocks, you're knocking into trees, and you don't have a clue where you are. But then you meet someone who has a torch, and the way before you is illuminated. You're no longer stumbling. John the Apostle looks to Jesus and said, he is that true light that gives light for our world. There are lots of claims in our world today to lighting our path. Some of them have a measure of truth to them. So science illuminates our path to a certain extent. And I'm thankful for the work of scientists over many years to provide us with insight into biology, how our bodies work, and the laws of nature, and how the universe runs and all sorts of stuff. I mean, without gravity, we'd have to, without knowing about gravity, you'd have to hold things down, wouldn't you? Um, did you know, only yesterday, they launched a new uh, space telescope. Only yesterday. So the Hubble telescope in space 
uh, is being superseded by another one which they launched last night. And that will peer into our universe. And it's quite fascinating um, what that will uncover, I suppose. So I'm really thankful for the light that science brings and also for the fact that our lives are very comfortable because of science. If you've ever flicked a switch and an air conditioner comes on or if you had a hot shower this morning or if you turn the key in your car and, and it starts, you're thankful for what science has brought to our world. In some ways, it has illuminated our path. Psychology has illuminated our path to a certain extent. We understand ourselves a little bit better. Um, we know how to be maybe happier as we walk through the forest, the dark forest. And then there's some dubious lights like ideologies, political ideologies and economic ideologies and um, you know, things like, of that sort of nature, philosophy and things like that. There is some benefit to some of these lights John looks to Jesus and says, he is the true light, like no other. Why is that? Why is he the true light? Because he alone is God come to us. God, the creator of all, the one who spoke everything into existence. So we need to listen to him above all the other voices in our world. Jesus spoke of eternity. All these other lights in some way may help us for the next 70 years, but Jesus spoke big picture items. He spoke about eternity. He spoke about the judgment of a righteous God. He spoke about repentance, heaven and hell. Submitting ourselves to God what it means to walk in this world in a godly way. Here's the true light. All other claims in one way or another illuminate the forest. Only Jesus' light leads us out of the forest, leads us out of that dark forest into eternity. Jesus is the only safe harbour. In John 6, uh, 66, to 69, Jesus had some hard things to say, and this is what comes after that. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone are the one who can lead us out of the dark forest. Through Jesus alone, we have peace with God. Jesus said about himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus didn't say, I know the way. He said, I am the way. True life is in him alone. And, and I think that if you've been in church, been in the faith for a long time, it's easy to take this for granted. But I just, my, my prayer is that there'll be gratefulness rise in your heart as you remember the great light that he has given to us, that we can trust in, the foundation that we can build our life upon. Right, let's move on to the second point. 
What difference does Jesus make? The mission he accomplishes. Let's read verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You hear that? It gloss over it so easily, what the scripture says. What can Jesus give us the right to be? Children of God. Children of God. The most intimate of relationship that we can call this great God Daddy, Father. But there's a problem, isn't there? And the problem is sin. The problem is our own turning our back on a righteous and holy and good God. And we've all done that. I've done that. You guys have done that. And God in his holiness and in his righteousness has said that those that sin, there must be death. Death is the wages of sin, according to Romans 6. Death is the wages of sin. But Jesus came to repair the damaged relationship. He came on a mission. And we call that the atonement. And atonement is not a word that we use very often, but you might know the word atone. We atone for something that we've done wrong. So an example might be that maybe if I've upset Brian, pick on you, I've upset Brian, I've said something out of turn, um, and, and so I ring Brian and say, Brian, can I come over and talk to you? And Brian says, yes, come over. And I go to Brian's house via Foodland, get some Cadbury plain chocolate. Just remember that if you ever upset me. And I go to Brian's house and say, Brian, I've, I've spoken out of turn, uh, and I've, I've engaged my mouth before my brain, and I've been selfish, and I, I value our friendship, Please forgive me. And Brian says, hopefully, I forgive you, Nige. Let's have chocolate. So we eat chocolate together. And I've atoned for that relationship by apologising and bearing gifts, yeah? But the problem is much worse with a holy God. It's more like adultery in a marriage. We've turned our back on the source of life. And a holy and righteous God says, Death is what is deserved because of that. It is serious. But Jesus came in order to stand in our place. Jesus became one of us, became our substitute so that we could have that relationship with God again. There's a story, I don't know if it's true, but it's a good story. I'm going to tell it to you. There were two brothers who were brought up in London they had a great relationship in their younger years. And as they reached adulthood, um, one of the brothers kind of started heading down the wrong track and got involved in a life of crime. And the other brother tried desperately to bring him back to the right way. The guy that got involved in a life of crime eventually murdered someone, stabbed him to death, and he had blood on his clothes. And he was running through the streets of London, being chased by the police and by police dogs, sniffing out the blood, big knife in his hand. And in desperation, he went to his brother's house, knocked on the door. His brother opened up. There he was, white-faced, 
bloody garments in an absolute state. And his brother said, come in, take off the bloody garments and go and wash. And while the brother was washing, the other brother put on those garments. And the police dogs sniffed out the house. And the law bust in and the innocent brother was arrested and hung for his other brother. I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a great analogy of what Christ has done for us. He became our brother in order to stand in our place. I'll have another drink, I think. Meditate on that for a moment. It's It's a powerful thought. He became our brother. He became one of us in order to take away our sin. Where am I going? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a great opportunity for us to bow our knee and just remember the greatness of our God. What difference does Jesus make? The light that he brings, illuminating our way like no other, and the death that he died in our place. Thirdly and lastly, but there's a lot more, the humanity he embraces. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And I've highlighted that in yellow again. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What a magnificent thing. John the apostle lived with Jesus for those three and a half years, rubbed shoulders with him. This great God, the only true God of eternity, wrapped himself in flesh and became a human being. And he didn't come down and sit on an ivory throne in a big castle and have envoys come and go. He came down and he mixed, he rubbed shoulders with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the common fishermen, ordinary people. The Muslims view the incarnation as profane. How could a holy God mix with grubby humanity? They think it's profane. I think it's most wondrous that my Lord would choose to become one of us. In John 4, 6, it's the the woman at the well. You'd know the story when Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. And some of the early scriptures we we kind of skip over, but I just love this scripture. It means so much to me. Verse 6 of of chapter 4, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Did you hear that? Wearied as he was from his journey. Who is God? God is all-powerful. Create the whole world and all the universe in six days. And here is Jesus wrapping himself in human flesh and understanding what weariness is. 
I take great heart from that. I don't know whether you guys are weary at the end of another year, but you have a Lord who doesn't just understand your weariness intellectually. He's experienced it. He's become one of us. He understands. He is a great high priest who knows what it is to be human. There's another story in Scripture of our Jesus being asleep in the boat and the boat is being swamped with water because there's a storm and he's asleep in the back. And it doesn't tell us why he was asleep, but I wonder if it's not because he's absolutely exhausted. He gets up before dawn, he seeks his father's face, and then he mixes with the people who are just grabbing from him all the time. And he's exhausted. We have a Lord who understands what we go through. Check this out. This is from the Bible Speaks Today commentary series. There is no parallel in any other religion to the sympathetic presence of God in Christ sharing our human struggle with us. Wow. That's about it, really. Um, What is our response today? What is our response in hearing about this, the difference that Jesus makes, the light he brings, the mission he accomplishes, and the humanity he embraces and understands. I think it's adoration. I think it's just to glory in it and just to enjoy our Lord and love him. During Advent, there's a a series of things called O antiphons, strange word, um, which is said the last seven days of Advent. And one of them, I think, is particularly powerful, and the beginning of it goes like this, O flower of Jesse's stem, in other words, son of David, you have been raised up as a sign for all peoples. Kings stand silent in your presence. And I think it's the most powerful thought. Nothing to add. Our great Lord has done it all. You might add the word politicians. Politicians stand silent in your presence. Nothing to add to the glory and the plan and the purposes of God. All the playmakers of this world, all the great people, all the people with influence will stand silent in his presence, the presence of our great Lord and King. And so what I wanted to do is to invite you guys to stand and we're just going to spend a moment in silent wonder of our Lord. Please stand with me. We'll stand for a few moments before we have communion together.